Good morning, church. If you would, we're in the book of Revelation. That's the last book of the New, of the New Testament, the last book in the Bible. And what I'd like you to do is turn to chapter 5 in the book of Revelation in our series titled, The Good News of the End Times, chapter 5 in the book of Revelation. If you remember, the Apostle John has been uh, exiled to the, to the island of Patmos, where he is uh, exiled because of faith and leading the church. And there on the island of Patmos in his elder years, he's probably, he's the only disciple that, that lived very long. Uh, they all were crucified or died uh, on terrible de- deaths for their faith. Uh, God gives him this vision, uh, and we are in chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed God, people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priests to your, our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriad of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under this earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful for the gift of your Spirit that you poured out on John to give him this vision on the island of Patmos, but also, Lord, for the promise of your Spirit here with us, and that by your Spirit you, you open up our hearts and our minds. You create faith through the hearing of your Word by your presence in us, and then you dwell in us. And so, Father, would you meet us, each of us, wherever we're at in faith? Would you come and speak into us? Give us hope, give us life, abundant and eternal. Empty me of myself, fill me to overflowing with your spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart might be acceptable in your sight for you are our strength and our salvation. And all God's people say together, amen. Well, we are in the third sermon on the book of Revelation and I want to highlight again what we will be doing in this, these, these sermons and what we will not be doing in these sermons, okay? So we will not 
be trying to unpack what all of these visions mean, like the various attributes and parts and crazy, amazing things that are spoken. There are tons of really incredible visions in the book of Revelation. We just read one. Um, Throughout the centuries, people have kind of tried to apply like nations or other people or, you know, various things to who and what and all these visions might mean. But that's not our goal uh, to, to give you some sort of a timeline or claim what these are, the absolute truth about what each of these things mean. But we will, however, be looking at the things in the book of Revelation, as it says, the good news that can be found in there, the assurance, the things that we can be sure of, the themes and the intent of this book is clear, it's understandable, and it's important, as wild as these visions might be. So we'll be claiming the truths about in, in Revelation that Revelation is proclaiming to us. So as we stand in the first sermon, as we stated a couple of weeks ago in that first sermon, the goal here is to claim faith over fear, right? Because when people make a lot of grand claims about what each of the visions mean within this book, it can create a lot of fear. Now, some of those things might be true. There might, there might be all kinds of ways that we can we could kind of get into this. But the intent of Revelation is to make us secure in our faith. Amen? That's the intent of the book of Revelation. That God wins, that Jesus is returning, that justice will happen for both the devil and God will deal with the evil that is in the world. Amen? That's the intent of the book of Revelation. That is the essence of what God is trying to express to us. Jesus is the victor and all that God has promised will come to pass for us and for the world. So last week, Pastor Greg kind of went through the last couple of chapters that prior to this, I think it's like four and five and, and six, or I mean three and four, uh, and, and, and in that he did, revelation we hear about the seven churches, right? And in those chapters we see God reminding us of this truth that Jesus is coming again, and to the churches God kind of assesses, he encourages them, and he convicts them, basically saying, hey, come on, repent, remain faithful, endure, run the race that's set before you, finish well, because Jesus is coming in power. So today, we're shifting a little bit, and our theme today is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, the title that is given to Jesus that we find throughout the book of Revelation. So let's discover what that means, why it's so important, and how it is actually the good news revealed to us through this vision. So we need to ground ourselves again in the reality of of what this is by turning to Revelation chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now it is the revelation that Jesus is revealing to John, but it is the reality that it is revealing who Jesus is. Amen? Amen? It is both of these things. It reveals to us the nature of Jesus. Through these visions given to the apostle, we see a clear picture of Jesus. And we know what the first advent of Jesus was like because we just celebrated it, right? The first advent of Jesus, the first revelation or coming or revealing of God's Son, Jesus Christ, happened just, you know, we celebrated it in Christmas, That's the first advent of Jesus, and he comes as this meek child, this baby born to a poor couple in Bethlehem, and his first appearance is sweet, and it's tender, and it's gentle, and it's loving, and we sing these wonderful Christmas hymns, and then Jesus grows, and he preaches, and he teaches, and he heals, and he loves, and he forgives, and he suffers for that. He dies, and what we find in Revelation is that the second coming of Jesus is quite different. Revelation tells us that he will come in power 
to judge and to execute justice. So we have to remember that what Revelation wants us to know is that all of history is bending towards Jesus' return in power, might, judgment, and victory. I'm going to say it again. What Revelation wants us to know is that all of history is bending towards Jesus' return. Towards Jesus' return in power and justice and might and victory. And for followers of Jesus who are born again, whose names are written in the the Lamb's book of life, you and me, if you, you know Jesus is Lord and Savior, but born again, we receive this whole testimony, this whole testimony in the book of Revelations, not in fear, but what? In faith. In faith. We praise God that his promises are true, that the victory is certain, and throughout Revelations there's going to be a lot of praising and worship because evil has been defeated and God wins. That's the ultimate reality. That's the ultimate reality. So that's the ground on which we stand, even as we start to read here. So now let's discover the power and the purpose of this title and theme today, the Lamb of God. Now this isn't just a title given in the book of Revelation to Jesus. The Lamb of God, this notion or this image, or actually this truth, because it's who he is, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, is prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus even hits the scene. So thousands of years ago, <laughs> this, the, the first reality of, of this the Lamb of God is spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And if you go to Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah is really kind of almost in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah and Jeremiah, two really big the major prophets. Isaiah chapter 53. And you might remember Isaiah because we read a lot of Isaiah around Christmas time, chapter 7 and chapter 9. Uh, Unto us a child is born, this, these wonderful promises. Well, in Isaiah chapter 53 at verse 5, Isaiah is, is speaking of the Messiah that God has promised that will co- one day, you know, come and restore Jerusalem and, and be its king because they're, 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 in, they're in exile here as, as Isaiah is writing. And it's 700 years before Jesus comes on the scene, he writes this, Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But, underline, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities or our sin. Upon him the whole chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace was put on him, and with his wounds we are healed. Sound like somebody we know? Right? This is Jesus, 700 years before he hits the scene. And look at the next verse, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a what? Lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So we hear this title in the Old Testament prophesied about who and what Jesus would be, this lamb, this sacrificial lamb of God. But that's not the only place. When Jesus first hits the scene in the New Testament, and, 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 he, and he comes on the scene and he's baptized by John the Baptist, right? There's, this, there's a portion of Scripture in John chapter 1, verse 29, where, where John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him. 
And as he's walking towards him, John the Baptist is reflecting back to what Isaiah said and claiming, making this claim that Jesus is this lamb, this sacrificial lamb. And what John the Baptist says, he says this in, Isaiah, in John 1, 29. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' first appearance is as a baby, as a man with grace and mercy and love. He is meek and humble, gentle, proclaiming forgiveness and life for all. He is the good news from God for us. But he isn't given the title by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God simply because he was meek, like a sweet, gentle lamb. He was given that title by Isaiah and spoken by John because Jesus is that sacrificial lamb offered for our sins, the sin of the world. And as 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus is the Lamb of God, a meek lamb born into this broken, crazy world who is sacrificed for our sin in order that we might be saved. Isaiah was right. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins. Upon him the punishment that brought us peace with his wounds were healed. Okay, that's a little background on the Lamb of God. Everybody here? Everybody with me? With me? Now his second coming, (laughs) his second advent appearing, described in the book of Revelations, we find once again he shows up as the Lamb of God in chapter 5, which of course harkens back to this baby and this sacrificial lamb that we've just been talking about. But there's a bit of a strange turn here in chapter 5. We see the turn because this meek lamb who lays his life down as our Savior the turn is that he starts to, we start to see the true power and majesty of his rule. And it begins here in 5. It says this, No one is worthy to open the scroll, what I just read, John, uh, Revelation 5. Uh, John is, is seeing this vision, right? And he begins to, you remember what he did when he realized that nobody could open the scroll? He begins to weep. He begins to weep. And, and, and then said, no, don't, don't weep. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion can open the scroll. Who is the lion of Judah? <laughs> Six and seven. The lion is the lamb that was slain. Verses, chapter five, verses six and seven. The lion is the lamb that was slain. The lamb of God. Jesus shows up at the lamb of God as the lamb of God who is the Lion of Judah. And in chapter 6, if you turn to chapter 6 of Revelation, you see that the Lamb indeed breaks the seal, opens the scroll. But what I want you to notice is this connection between the Lion and the Lamb. They're the same person. Okay, we start to see the, the turn from meek and gentle Savior to power and might right away. The Lion is the Lamb. Jesus is this paradox, paradox, this both and, right? Both the same time the lion, at the same time he's the lamb. You know, are there two more different animals than the lion and the lamb? (laughs) 
Can, can you get farther apart, you know, in, in the, you know, when you see a little lamb, oh my goodness, you know, you really want to approach it. Don't approach a lion. I don't know if you know that. Tender lamb and a terrifying lion. But we really shouldn't be all that surprised by that paradox that's both and, very different realities. Why? Because here's what we know about Jesus. He's both God and man. 100% both. I can't figure that out. Right? So God and man seems even to be a, a wider paradox or crazy thing to think about than lion and lamb. Lion and lamb. And as I was thinking about this text this morning, I was thinking about where it says, you know, the, the, the lion shall lie down with the lamb when it talks about heaven, you know. And then there's this element of like, comes together in Christ. Comes together in Christ. That's who Jesus is, this gentle, loving, sacrificial Savior. And the one, the lion, who comes to execute justice and reveal the mighty power of God. By this both and, lion and lamb, we see God has conquered how? Through submission, through meekness, strength through suffering. Life comes through death. In chapter 6, if you turn to chapter 6 in Revelation, verses 15 and 16 there, chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, we see this strange little sentence that gives us a glimpse of what is to come. Chapter 6, verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and all the rich and powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains because when the scroll is opened, the first judgment happens and now all these powerful people are running. They're fleeing for their lives, right? And what they say, they call out, they say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? And who can stand? The great and powerful. The wrath of the lamb. <laughs> you know, how scary is a ram's, I mean, a, a lamb's wrath? You know, it just seems kind of almost humorous. Like, really? I'm frightened of a lamb's wrath? Well, there's something to it here. See, we begin to see the fullness of just who and what the lamb will become. Not just the Lion of Judah, but the conqueror who brings justice and the wrath of God. The Lion of Judah roars. The full and true nature of the Lamb is revealed to us in the book of Revelation. And as promised, God is revealing to us not just what is to come, the utter and complete victory that He will accomplish over sin, death, and the devil. He's also revealing to us the fullness of just who and what the Lamb of God is. Of just who Jesus is by His very nature. The Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, yes, and so much more. Turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, we see the power that is in the Lamb's sacrifice. A huge throng of people whose robes are white stand before the Lamb. And their robes have been dipped and washed in the Lamb's blood in chapter 7. So here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. When you uh, pour blood on a spotless white piece of clothing, does it get clean or dirty? <laughs> it's hard to get out on a pure white garment, a bunch of blood. 
But what we find in chapter 7 is this next, this other paradox that Jesus brings, that when our, we are dipped in the blood of the Lamb, we're cleansed, not stained. We're cleansed. By His blood, it removes the stain of sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 7, you can write that down and look it up later, it says, this is the message that we have heard from Him, 1 John 1, 5 and 7, and that we proclaim to you, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while, we're, while we walk in darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all our sins. All these people in chapter 7 of Revelation, this throng, multitude upon multitude, stand before the throne, and the lamb, the lamb stands there at the center and the throne. And what we see in that image is this unity of the Father and the Son, the Lamb of God and, 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 and the Father God. We see this, this unity as he has the right to stand at the throne. Standing at the throne, the Father and I are one. We hear those words from John uh, around in our mind as we see this image. But what really jumps out in chapter 7 in terms of what God reveals to us about the Lamb happens in verse 17. 7.17 For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here we go again. Blood that makes white, a sheep that's a shepherd, right? The lamb will shepherd us, care for us, guide us to living waters, wipe every tear from eye. He will protect us forever. And once again, we should have in our minds those who know Scripture ringing in your background. John chapter 10, I am, Jesus says, the good shepherd. The Lamb who will judge the world, the Lamb whose wrath is coming, is the Good Shepherd who will protect His own, who holds them in His mighty shepherding hand. This is a reassurance and a comfort, even as we read kind of wild visions that are unsettling. There is a comfort that those who are part of His flock have faith and not fear. So, we can start to see how prominent this image and this title of Jesus as the Lamb of God is in the book of Revelation. But I want to mention two places that are, that are really prominent and important where, where this title appears uh, over and over. And those two places are this. The first is virtually every time there is worship in Revelation, the worship is directed towards the Lamb of God. Worship happens continually throughout the book of Revelation. And when you see that worship happening, the Lamb of God is somewhere in the midst of that. Second, the Lamb of God is mentioned most often in the last four chapters, actually 19, 21, and 22. Um, kind of jumps over 20 a little bit. But um, in those four chapters, we see it a lot at the end, this reality of what is to come. So, first of all, in terms of worship, there's something like 29 references of the Lamb of God in Revelation. And of those occurrences, most of them, so many of those happen around times of worship. The Lamb is to be worshipped. 
Jesus is to be, he has accomplished for us the salvation and life that God longed for. He has accomplished for the Father the reality of, 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 of bringing people back into relationship with him. The Lamb is worthy of all honor and praise. Jesus is worthy of all honor and praise. And we heard that in Revelation chapter 5. You remember Revelation chapter 5? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive and to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He is worthy. He has accomplished that on that cross for you and me. He's worthy. And to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures, this is verse 14, said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And then finally, we see this Lamb of God if you look through chapters 19, 21, and 22, we see this image of the Lamb of God that, that, that comes into being with where all everything is bent and heading. All, all the future is heading towards this. And the Lamb is central to everything going on with where we're all headed as believers, as, as fellow believers. It's all over. Chapter 19 is the, is the marriage feast of the Lamb. And in chapter 19, what happens, and we're going to get into this in a couple of weeks when we talk about the victor and the victory, because in chapter 19, what we see is the lamb turns into the warrior who comes on a white horse and deals with the devil and evil forever and ever. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's, he comes in power. And then what happens in chapter 21 and chapter 22, we see the lamb again. And we see the lamb, and as we see the lamb, what we discover is from him, living waters flow from the throne. There's this, this ultimate victory that happens. And in this new reality, not only does he sit on the throne and the living water flows from it, but he's the light by which we, there's no need for, for the sun. <laughs> the lamb is the light of heaven. And so, this Lamb of God is with us, tending us, caring for us, and that's our future. The Lamb is meek and He's sacrificial. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the one whose blood cleanses and makes pure. He's the only one who can open the scroll and bring about the judgment and the end of the age and usher in the new, the new age, the, the new heaven and the new earth. He is the conquering warrior. He is our light. He is living water flows from His throne. He is the good shepherd. And He is here today. <laughs> He's here today. The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, is here for you. He reaches out to each and every one of us today with an invitation. And it's this. I'm coming soon. Take my hand and receive life eternal and come and I will write your name in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. So come. Let's pray. Lord, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, would you meet us 
Lord, we long to live in that future that you have promised, living with you, where we see and know the fullness of your love and grace for us, and where we can worship and praise you. And so, Lord, come. Lamb of God, come. Come. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen.